How you doing today, Brian? Hey, Nick. I'm good. I'm actually thankful that, you know, this is the first August in years that I don't have to be sitting down and planning for IT budgetary season, you know, going into uh, end of third quarter and end of fourth quarter prior to getting budget approvals. But I know that that's not true for everyone. Yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, some some people budgeting season's easy, especially if you're a smaller organization, right? Um, you just buy things when you need them and you don't necessarily have a a budgeting season, but it's it's definitely a different kind of August, right? For for everybody. And today we had good conversation. We went everything from how does your IT support staff handle, you know, people working from home all the way to leadership, um, things that you should be thinking about with a remote work staff. And some of that is inclusive of really reviewing some of the policies and procedures that you've had in place and forecasting into what we both sort of cringe at calling the quote unquote new normal. Um, but it is a term that continues to get uh, thrown out there. So uh, we do touch on that quite a bit today, uh, as well as offering up some leadership tips and tricks about how to consider hitting refresh on uh, some of what you may have had in place, as well as planning for what may not be a typical procurement cycle for a lot of folks that are going into budget planning for 2021. Yeah, I guess with that, let's uh, let people get on with the show. All right. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And today you've got just the two of us. We're going to be chatting a little bit about what tech nerds like us uh, love to nerd out about, <laughs> which is technology and, uh, you know, in, in part, uh, what technology leaders are going to be challenged with, uh, particularly in budgeting for the new normal, sort of all the things that come along with what we're quote unquote calling the new normal uh, post-COVID crisis. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of hearing about this new normal. Um, these past few months have kind of felt like Groundhog Day. I, I wake up at times and I don't really know what day it is. Um, the only way I can differentiate a weekday from a weekend day is either I work my day job or I don't. <laughs> but but as, as you're saying, you know, it's, it's a very challenging time right now. And I think especially for IT leaders, right, we've seen this transition where you know, a lot of businesses are core, their employees are in a, an office location or remote location mm-hmm. um, or satellite office. Um, internet is supplied to them. IT staff is there. Everything they need on hand supplies. And now instantly, a lot of their staff are dispersed. They're at home. Um, they're using home computers on home networks. And like you and I were discussing before we hit record, you know, there's these demands on the home internet that weren't there before. You know, so a lot of people will have their kids at home and their other spouses and, you know, your other spouse might be working from home or watching Netflix while you're trying to upload a (laughs) three gig file so that your marketing team can see stuff. (laughs) Um, So it's really putting a strain on, on IT support teams is where, where do they draw this line of how much to support and where do you draw that line between something's a personal problem um, and something's like a business problem? Because I feel like it's a really gray area, right? If somebody can't work, I feel like as an IT support technician, 
you're kind of obligated to help them to get them going, right? They got you got to at least get them to some level of productivity. But at a certain point, I feel like when it's home internet and different things like that, it's it's difficult to draw that line, right? Part of the recommendation that I've been working with a couple different organizations on addresses exactly that point, Nick. And it for me, it starts with putting together a playbook of best practices. And so starting with, you know, how are you sizing what type of bandwidth you as a consumer currently have in place at home? Because to address exactly the constraints that you're talking about, if you've got you know, you may even have more than one machine, right? You may have your work machine and then you may have a personal computer uh, at home and you're using them for different things simultaneously throughout the day. And then you've got other people who are gaming. You may have guests, you may have, uh, you know, spouse. I mean, all of those things that are putting a bandwidth constraint on what typically would not be a normal load environment for what your consumer, uh, you know, bandwidth requirements were previously. So even just starting with something like that, what is the recommendation? Uh, and it can be in the form of a, a simple form that you can prop mm-hmm. up really quickly so that you can gather some of the information for each of your folks who are currently constrained with working at home. And particularly if it's going to be, you know, back to your favorite phrase, the new normal. <laughs> and and you're, you're going from a work from home situation, which you know, prior to the COVID crisis for most companies was more of a temporary situation. Now it's becoming more of a permanent temporary kind of situation where the inverse of what, you know, the prior experience was for workers, where you may work from home one day a week. Well, well, now you may go into the office one day a week, right? <laughs> and some people may not be returning to the office at all. If, if there's one thing about uh, the crisis, it's that suddenly we had a, a clear production uh, experiment in what working from home looked like. Right? Yeah, and I, I think it's it's this crazy paradigm shift, right? And I feel like um, as we've gone through time, re- remember a few months ago, that was probably like back in December, I, I saw that guy on LinkedIn just post this absolutely crazy thing about remote work, right? His comment about it's like created by millennials, you know, to waste time. Um, and, and here we are now, we're just living in the remote work, you know, that, you know, in general right now, most people who have the ability to work from home are pretty much working from home. And I think you hit, you know, some key points there. Some of it's like having a standard operating procedure for your staff, right? Saying when you get to X, Y, Z level, um, this is where we need to stop. And some of it's education too, right? Um, you know, a hundred megabyte circuit up and down is expensive in an enterprise environment when that's guaranteed bandwidth. Um, you might tell a home user, you know, we have a hundred up, a hundred down at the office. And they're like, well, I have Fios. It's a gig up and a gig down. And you're like, oh, that's <laughs> not the same thing. Right. Uh, you know, those speeds aren't guaranteed to you. They're just telling you that you can get up to that speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but with everybody home right now, I mean, I have files in my, you know, in my personal home right now, and it's nowhere close to that. Um, you know, it's maybe half that speed right now, which is still pretty good, but you know, it still has jitter and everything. It's not as clean as internet as sitting in your office with an enterprise guaranteed SLAs for a certain level of service. So some of that, I feel like goes back to education and end user education, um, and educating them on things that they never needed to know about before. And some people might've 
gone down the uh, Wikipedia Google rabbit hole and become experts in, in network uh, technologies. That's right, as well as enterprise storage <laughs> and security. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I think the back to the sort of that checklist approach, right? Uh, the the standard operating procedure for a work computer looks different than if you're trying to instruct an end user how to configure their home-based PC to be able to securely connect to your network. If you've you know got VPN. Um, that they're required to be using, you know, making sure that their antivirus is up to date, making sure that their their uh, OS is actually up to date. All of these things that you know. You mean you cons- don't support Windows XP anymore? <laughs> <laughs> it's unlikely, yes. But I do still know some people running Windows Seven. Why I don't know, but it happens, and, and that's kind of the point, right? That you've got to have a baseline for where you expect people to be operating from, and Configuring home workstations, I mean, that's a real issue. I've, I've worked with a number of companies that prior to the pandemic and the lockdown orders felt like they were pretty well prepared for work from home. Mm-hmm. But what they quickly discovered was they actually did not have a VPN allowance for their entire workforce. They could, they could maybe have up to 100 simultaneous users off-site who are connecting in via VPN. Well, if you've got a 400-person organization and everyone is simultaneously trying to get into your network, now you've got a sizing issue that you need yeah. to address. And a lot of those same companies ran into an issue where they did not have proper hardware available. So lots of desktop users in the office well, they had loaner laptops, but again, you're not expecting everyone in your workforce to depart at the same time. Yeah, and it's just compounding some of the traditional IT management stuff, right? Uh, you know, you're shipping things in, shipping stuff back out, and things you had before that were hot swaps probably aren't surviving because they're going back and forth. And we know, we all know no matter which parcel carrier you use, they're not exactly gentle with all the packages. Um, so, I mean, it's just increasing it tenfold, right? And it's a good opportunity for IT leaders to go back through and look at their, their operating procedures just for everything, right? Do we have documentation on how to get to the VPN to free up some of your support staff's time? Um, are you using a ticketing system like Zendesk or something like that? Do you have wikis that your folks can get into without having to be logged in? Um, it's, it's going back and looking at it from an end user and saying, okay, well, if I can't get in and work today or I need to do X, Y, Z, um, how do I know to do that if I can't get in on any of my work stuff? And you also brought up a good point too with the, the shift of, you know, people planned partially for, you know, half their staff, but not mm-hmm. all their staff. And this was a good test, right? Because it's always hard to actually produce real work, real world conditions and stuff in a testing environment when you say, okay, everybody's gonna work from home, but you don't necessarily know what that's gonna look like. I always say that end users are gonna do what end users do. They always do something that surprises you. Um, It's not that it's bad that they're doing, it's just that they do things different ways that you probably don't think about doing it because you're an IT professional. Um, Like you have everybody loaded up on a VPN and then what if you have, you know, a few folks who are working on digital assets, maybe like a movie or something like that, passing it back and forth through the VPN, right. um, that can just bring your VPN to a crawling halt if, if your hardware is not good enough to handle all that tunnel back to the office and then the back and forth of a three or four gig file, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, those are, those are things where I think being able to prop up a form to help gather information, if you don't know exactly what every role in, you know, your company may currently require based on what they're doing, they may have radically different needs. And so while some folks uh, may be perfectly fine with whatever their home internet provider uh, is currently allowing them in terms of bandwidth, there may be completely other uh, user types who, you know, are, are seriously being constrained with their jobs uh, because of challenges that they've gotten. So you've got to be creative and in, in providing some additional workarounds, whether it's setting up some kind of um, enterprise, um, you know, whether it's a, a, a Dropbox or some kind of enterprise storage um, that's online that makes it easier to transfer files uh, versus just trying to push everything, you know, <laughs> as, as a, a single deliverable versus uh, via an upload. Um, you know, it, gathering that information, I think, is, is one of the challenges, uh, especially for larger organizations where you've got, you know, very disparate roles and then everyone simultaneously trying to, um, you know, have the same kind of virtual uh, work style. Exactly. You, you sent everybody home and, and they denial of service distributed <laughs> <laughs> your network. <laughs> and it's, it's not because they're trying to do a DDoS. That's just what's happening because everybody's remote and everybody's trying to work from home and your resources just can't handle it. Because what, what IT staff would really plan for that? Um, and when you think about it, right, most people aren't thinking, hey, everybody's going to be home. It's going to be a long-term thing. You know, our business continuity and disaster recovery is normally like a disaster. Um, like, hey, there's <laughs> right. been an earthquake and we can't get into the office for like a month. It's not this, you know, going on five-month, you know, thing of people working from home. So it's really forced IT layers to shift their thinking and how they plan their resources. And it should be interesting times going up budgeting. I bet the hardware players like Cisco and Juniper are going to be selling massive amounts of hardware to mm -hmm. them and F5 and into everything and AWS and, you know, at what Azure has a virtual desktop to, I bet those things are going to be slammed, right? Because people are like, well, here's where we are now. Here's where we need to go. And this is how we can get there the fastest. So it's definitely probably an interesting time to be an IT leader because you have leeway to spend money and justify things that probably took, you know, three or four discussions and board level meetings to get approval for. And now it's just hitting the CFO and the CEO and they're saying, just buy it and we'll justify it. You know, and the board's like, well, fine, we get it. Everybody's working from home. You need this. Um, so it's definitely interesting. You know, hardware, security, everything. I feel like the vendors are just going to be, you know, coming out of this thing golden. Well, I'll tell you what, 2020 has been the year for me moving from, leadership and IT operations into providing software <laughs> on, on the vendor side. And uh, so much of what, uh, you know, my current employer provides is exactly that. It's remote access technologies. And it's been unbelievable how busy this time has been. And so certainly, you know, from a procurement standpoint, I think the other thing to be very mindful of is with the budgetary season, you know, what, what has been, you know, the old normal has been, uh, you know, the, the month of August rolls around, you start having initial conversations about what are the initiatives on, on deck for the next year. 
and let's start discussing, you know, what are some of the functional areas within the business that may have their own unique needs. And let's start, you know, asking questions so that we can put together RFPs so that we can start developing, you know, purchase lists. It may look a little different going into 2021 if for no other reason, part of what you pointed out, a lot of those uh, hardware providers in particular are going to be slammed. I don't know about you, but yeah. I, you know, I, I was looking for a new headset recently and they're finding, still like impossible to get <laughs> well, them webcams. Yeah. You I, just I, can't get them. It's, it's, I mean, the, these things are like Lysol wipes or something, right? I mean, just if you can find it, it's like you're buying gold. Yeah. Uh, well, let me you tell know. you, you can, you can find <laughs> the cheap, cheap webcams, cheap headsets, but those are the things that aren't going to work that well. Mm-hmm. Trying to find something like reputable, I'm not going to say brand names here, but trying to find something reputable that you know works is that's where the expensive factor comes in, right? Because the supplies the supply's low because everybody's just looking for it to work from home still. For sure. You know, and having overseen IT procurement for so many years, these things, you know, in a, in a normal cycle, you would just be able to put out your budgetary number, get some quotes on what things are going to cost, and then go through the approval process. Right now, that may have to happen in very different stages. In fact, some of the approvals may need to come much earlier prior to when the typical annual budget would be approved, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're trying to get uh, 300 new laptops for your workforce, chances are you're not going to be able to get that all in one single, you know, volume purchase, you may need to go to the table negotiating with your hardware provider to say, look, over the next 18 months, we're going to need these 300. And we still want the volume discount because we'd buy them all today. If we could help us out here, what, what can we do on sort of a, you know, either a delayed delivery cycle or, uh, you know, adding some additional discounts for, uh, you know, for getting those things uh, iteratively versus all in one fell swoop. Yeah, and I think as we're talking about budgeting in 2021, I think we're going to see this shift of some organizations deciding, hey, let's reduce our office footprint, right? Commercial mm-hmm. real estate is expensive. It, right. It's expensive before you even build anything into it. Mm-hmm. Um so I think we're going to see some organizations kind of go the big consulting, the way the big consulting world's been for a number of years is that they get a typical space. You're going to see maybe like some accountants there, maybe some essential IT staff, some janitorial staff, you know, some operation folks who need to be there just to make things run. And then everything else is just going to be hoteling. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to have an office. You'll get a stipend probably to, you know, fix up your own desk, uh, you know, buy some things that, you think you need, maybe if you need a new router or something, your stipend will cover that. I think we're going to see a lot of that coming within the next year, just as, you know, you said it's difficult to plan to procure things. And especially when everybody's at home, that procurement, that idea of what you need is completely different for every employee. Um, You know, all your IT folks who do IT for a living probably already had a decent router and a home network set up and personal computers. If their work computer dies, they know how to do that stuff. But, you know, the everyday end user might not be set up that way. So maybe they need the stipend to just go out and buy a new, you know, wireless router that's not 15 years old or that's not from, you know, your your ISP. 
Right. So, so I think we'll see a big transition into to employers probably shifting some of that budgetary cost, not renewing office space leases, and shifting some of that money outwards to their employees to to kind of buy whatever they feel like they need in their office without going through all this purchase requisition thing of, hey, I need a chair. It's like, well, here, you know, here's X dollars. You can do whatever you want with X dollars. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I know what you're what you're saying is already true. I was I was just talking to a company this morning that is uh, as of today actually moving offices, and it was not the move that they anticipated. They had originally planned to expand out another floor in the building that they're currently in, and they had all the contracts drawn up. They had everything ready to go. What they determined after looking at expenses was that it was actually going to be cheaper for them to pay a penalty to cancel all the contracts that were in place and to reverse course and to go actually get a new office in a completely new building that is less than half the size of what the current office is that they were planning on expanding, right? They were planning on doubling the amount of mm -hmm. office space that they had. Now they're going the other direction and they're reducing their current office space by half. And even with the penalties, they've been able to calculate that that's actually going to be more cost effective for them uh, and then and shift everything over so that they do have uh, permanent work from home status for the majority of their workforce with only the administrative staff in the headquarters and then hoteling set up for anyone else that needs to come in, you know, and meeting rooms for entertaining clients or, you know, board meetings or whatever. Or entertaining yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that at home. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that's one of the things that has shifted, you know, with this, I feel like more people, hop on a Zoom or, or a WebEx or a Teams or go to meeting, wherever, whatever video platform you are. And before all this happened, like you'd hop on, I'd turn on my video and I'd be the only one with video on. But now it's like people are just, you know, used to doing it and they're having fun and they find different backgrounds. You see the backgrounds that people do. Um, so I think it has opened people up more into this video kind of teleworking thing. Um, but I guess since we've talked a lot about probably like just the logistical aspects of this, but what do you think some of the, um, you know, leadership challenges of this are going to be? Well, you just touched on one of them, I think. So, you know, the stigma of being on video has effectively disappeared with the ubiquity of everyone being on video calls, you know, for their team engagement. Part of what I've noticed is all of a sudden you start to see that behavior cracking around the edges a little bit. You know, you hear somebody's laundry buzzer go off in the background and they disappear from being on camera <laughs> and then they never return for the remainder of the meeting. Right. So, you know, part of uh, from a leadership perspective, I think part of what is important is establishing what those working agreements are up front. And mm -hmm. if you haven't been through a working agreements exercise with your team or teams previously, I think it's it's valuable for a lot of reasons. One, it's not just about the etiquette of interaction. It's also about setting expectations, right? What, what do you expect your workforce to do to prove a certain level of engagement? And right now I've heard from a lot of leaders that productivity has been something that it's it's been more difficult to measure. Some folks their work style is they just don't disengage. And so there may be folks on your team who you have to remind, hey, when you take a lunch break, get up 
from your desk and move away from the computer and go sit outside and eat your lunch or, you know, take a break, do something, you know, to, uh, to end your screen time. Because a lot of folks are just wired where, you know, Hey, I'm working from home. I'm here with all my stuff. I can have lunch right here and just keep powering through. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that, that becomes unhealthy at a, at a certain level, just as much as the inverse is true, where you've got folks that it's hard to tell, are you actually, you know, how much are you actually working? Um, and mm-hmm. so being able to establish those working agreements and be very clear on what expectations are, uh, to me, it's, it's one of those things that, it is especially helpful if you're having a team meeting and you've got 10 people on the call and you see that five of them have their cameras on, they're listening, they're nodding, they're engaging, you know, they're participating in the conversation. And then you've got five with their cameras off and you're not really sure what's going on. And you know, so again, a, to me, a simple solution for that from a leadership perspective is just establish what the expectations are. Hey, unless you're having, you know, a, a personal issue and, and you, you know, need to take a day where you're saying I'm off camera today, you know, and kind of establish that up front. The rule is when we're having a meeting, we all turn on our cameras. I, I just want to know that we're interacting at the same level that we would if we were sitting around a, a table together. Yeah, I like that. And I, I feel like there's a balance there, right? Um as we see over time, people are getting this Zoom fatigue. I know there there was a point in the beginning, I was on so many like just video meetings and video meetings. I'm like, if I have another video meeting, I'm gonna smack my head into the computer. And it's, you know, there needs to be a balance, right? Maybe it's like figuring out what works for your team and saying, hey, you know, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we get on the video on these team meetings. Any other day on a meeting, you know, you're free to, you know, do your laundry while you're on this call or something like that. Cause we all know everybody's working from home and some people have children sure. at home and maybe they're shutting the video off because their, their kids are running around causing terror in the background or something. I don't know. I'm just making <laughs> something up, but I mean, we all know that that stuff like that happens. Um, so I think maybe some of it's, like you said, it's the work agreements and the clear expectations so that they know what you're expecting of them. And, you know, the expectations have been set out clearly. And then you just give them the trust initially right away, right? You trust, but verify. Um, You trust them until they give you a reason to not trust them. And it goes back to what is productivity, right? Um, I think there's going to be a shift in how we see productivity. Productivity is not necessarily coming to an office or being available from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. or whatever your hours are. Productivity is going to shift to more about are you being productive? Are things getting done? Instead of looking at people's Skype status, you know, their Skype for work or, <laughs> or their Slack and seeing how long they've been offline. That's right. Um, you know, you know th- those things are there. You can manage people that way if you want to. But if you just don't trust them initially to get their work done, um, th- then you're just setting up a ro- rocky road, you know, to go ahead. I don't, I don't think micromanaging works in person and it doesn't work remotely. Um, so, you know, it's why you just trust, but verify, don't worry about if that Skype icon goes to inactive for 45 minutes, maybe they got up, went for a walk around the block and, you know, took their kid out for a bike because bike ride, because they just couldn't handle being inside anymore. Um, so, so I think we're going to have to see a lot more flexibility and a lot more, um, you know, 
different ways you, you see productivity. Productivity is not necessarily sitting in front of a computer for eight hours a day or at your desk. You know, people have found ways to waste time at work oh, yeah. <laughs> in an office and I, you know, at past employers, past places, I have seen how people do that. And I'm sure you have over the years. <laughs> I mean, like it, it could be somebody who's totally in the office and you shut their computer down and you go to wipe everything and reconfigure it. And you're like, Oh, this, this person was like, was a very busy individual. Um, but, I, I, but back to my original statement, cause I digress is that, you know, we're going to see productivity is going to be a different way and you have to be a little bit less hands-on and more clear with your expectations and trusting your people and then just verifying that's what they're doing. You know, trust them until they give you a reason not to trust them. Well, that's certainly my philosophy. And I, you know, hearing you say that, Nick, makes me realize that it's probably a more egalitarian approach than maybe some cultures will support. And, you know, so I think it depends on what is the performance management style and expectations for your type of organization. Certainly private companies versus public companies versus private equity backed companies may all have different standards that they enforce for a variety of reasons. And so from a leadership perspective, I think it's important to know what is required and where is there the room for flexibility so that you can work with your team to create those definitions. Um, you know, something else that you touched on just in terms of productivity, a lot of companies and a lot of other leaders that I've worked with have their own performance indicators, right? So how do you measure the work that's actually getting done? What are those expectations? And, you know, does it have to be with, uh, you know, so many touch points with clients during the workday or during the month or the week or whatever it is? Um, and so there may be a need to go through and readdress those. You know, the Zoom fatigue, I think, in part has come from the fact that there's been a lot of worried employers who feel like they need to keep their workers engaged with them during every minute of the workday. Otherwise they might go off and do something that's other than work. Right? <laughs> and so it's like all of a sudden the volume of zoom meetings that you see on your calendar increases. And I'm not confident that they necessarily mean you're being more productive and are more engaged as a result of it. In fact, in some it's like, wow, this is really interfering with me getting some things done as a result. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I, I look at Zoom meetings the way I look at any meeting or a video meeting, the way I look at any meeting, you know, a meeting with four people in it, in it that's one hour is not a one hour meeting. That's a four hour meeting because you're taking away four hours of productivity. That's right. Um, so anytime you go to schedule anything, stop and think how many people are going to put in it. And if the meetings are really worth that time, one of the things I know that works well with remote work because I've, I've done it before in a previous role is actually just writing right? Having a good project management system, even if you're just writing notes in a OneNote or a Basecamp or, or, or something like that, clear written communication where people can pick up the parts at any point in time mm -hmm. and read through everything. You know, Slack's great for messaging and Teams and, and email, but a lot of times people on projects are left out of conversation. Things mm -hmm. will get decided in an IM message or a text message and with so many different ways to communicate now, they don't realize that other team members haven't seen that. Um, so I, I think it's important, you know, to also lean on written long form communication um, and, and limiting the meetings just to when decisions need to be made. 
uh, you know, obviously you probably still need your reconnection time to just do your stand up, say, Hey, what's going on? What are your, what, are, you know, what are you working on? What are your barriers? What, what can I help you with? Um, you should probably still have those, but I think, you know, this remote time and remote working long written form communication is, is, should be kind of your gold standard and your, your go-to first before the meetings and, and the video conferences and everything. I think that's a great rule of thumb, Nick. I, w- I would add to that that for organizations that have not yet settled on some type of collaborative uh, technology to help drive their team engagement, you know, whether it's Basecamp, whether it's Slack, Microsoft Teams, there, you know, there's a lot of very analogous tools out there that allow you to do just that, you know, set up channels specific to your teams, to a project, however you're, you're designating it. And then it gives you a centralization point where it's easy to tag individuals. It's easy to tag or remember of the team, mm-hmm. keep awareness engaged through those notifications, be able to centralize information and an iterative, iterative type of knowledge base or wiki and, you know, or notebook or whatever the format is so that you can continue to work in a highly engaged collaborative type of format where you don't necessarily have to be sitting right across the desk from somebody else that you would normally just, you know, lean over your, your cube wall and ask a question. Now it may be getting addressed through IM or through mm-hmm. a, a shared channel chat. Yeah. And, you know, collaboration's great too. And, and one of the things that with the Skype for business, which is going away, but you know, teams, any of those IM things uh, or text messages, it's that feel that, you know, people feel like they need to reply to things instantly, right? <laughs> or, or they need people to reply to them instantly because they're sending them an instant message. Um, I, w- I would still say, you know, at least for me, um, relaxing the IM culture because it can burn you out, right? Don't send oh, yeah. someone an IM and expect them to reply within seconds. Um, just like I wouldn't send an email to somebody and then turn around 30 seconds later, if we were in the office, say, Hey, Brian, did you get my email? Why didn't you open that? Um, you know, people are at home, they're on conference calls, they're, they're probably working. Uh, and, and that's where the long written form communication comes in handy. Cause you can just write a very long, long explanation and, and tag somebody. Like you said, if it's like a teams or Slack and it's in a channel, um, then everybody can see it and you just wait for them to reply. Don't expect instantaneous communication all the time. Because as we lean more to this work-life integration um, and not this work-life balance, because right now we're home and our work is the same thing, um, we're not, people aren't taking that break, right? right? Because it's just so easy to forget that you're still working. And right now there's not a ton of places to go. There's not a ton of things to do. So it's really easy to just sit and do work for 12, 13 hours a day because, you know, you can only watch so much Netflix. And I think, you know, realizing that the instant communication is good, but it also doesn't need to be instant. It doesn't need to be real time. Um, Let people have a break and allow them times to collect their thoughts. And again, using something as simple as working agreements that are clearly established that set those expectations. And when I talk about working agreements, I'm not talking about writing, you know, an essay about what these things mean. You can have a bulleted list. I've seen working agreements in a team as short as three bulleted items and as long as, you know, two PowerPoint slides. 
mm. that kind of cover all of these different things. And that, and that can range from, uh, you know, speak openly and honestly, right? Treat, treat this as a, a safe and open environment for sharing ideas before your other teammates, right? I mean, things that are more EQ oriented like that for, for interpersonal interaction, but then they can also identify things like respond to all work-related emails within 48 hours, respond to all IM posts within eight hours, you know, what, mm. whatever those things are that you feel are those, you know, important expectations to set around the corporate communications in particular, um, just spending some time going through that. And again, if you've, if you've already established working agreements, just like looking at your budgetary cycle, those things may need to be revised, right? And, uh, and particularly as, as we're looking at what has changed and what's going to continue to change as folks may be returning to work, they may already be back in the office, but they're operating under some of these prior established uh, guidelines or, or rules, that's a good time to say, hey, let's take a look at how we've done everything and, and start the revision process. Yeah, I think I think you've hit it really on the head there. Um, it's it's effective communication, right? We're just talking about communicating with your staff and, and your expectations, especially with you know the the fall schools getting ready to start um, for a lot of people and in a lot of jurisdictions is still up in the air whether the kids are going back to school or if they're doing a, some school um, in person, some at home. Um, so I, I think you said it's a good time for everything just to be reviewed um, and take the worst case scenario and plan from there, right? <laughs> You've already had the worst case scenario. So what would you do differently? Um, when, what do you expect out of your people? Uh, you know, like you said, the working agreements is a simple one. And it could be just as simple as, hey, every Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. to 3 p.m., you must be online and available. Any other time, I don't care when you're here or not. Um, it could be as simple as that. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Brian, I think, I think communication is key right now. Well, and you know, Nick, I, I know when we typically have a guest on the show, we love to talk about books or media resources. What are some of those things that, that can help inform? And I thought it would be worthwhile to point out some of the work that one of our prior guests, Dr. Gleb Sipersky has done. Uh, and I know that, uh, on his website, uh, which is disasteravoidanceexperts.com, that he has published, uh, you know, a, a freely accessible article uh, called Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Pandemic. And in it, there are a lot of these same types of tips and tricks that he addresses um, that, that really, you know, help address, you know, up front. Uh, some of the communication challenges, some, some of the revision uh, types of approaches that can be taken. So uh, out of the number of books that he's written, you know, I, I think that that's one that, that could be worth pointing out right now. He's uh, uh, the guy's a brainiac and uh, he's, he's chock full of good advice. So uh, I thought that that would be one that, that I, I felt was worth sharing for today's episode. Helps if I unmute, right? <laughs> I would say even his podcast episode, episode 27, when we had him on, is a good one. He goes over a lot of that. The odd thing is we recorded that, what, like three days into 
you know, most of lockdown. The yeah. It was really weird, but um, it, it's full of great content, full of great um, insights. Um, so I would definitely recommend our listeners to go check that out and check him, check out his content in general. Um, the other two that I would add is from the founders of Basecamp. Um, mm. That's remote and rework. Yeah. Um, they have been a remote company. I think what, what's Basecamp like 15 years old. Something yeah. Like that. Oh yeah. They, they've been mostly remote can a uh, remote organization for that whole time. And they share their thoughts and ideas based on what's worked for them, what doesn't work for them. And it's a really quick, easy reads. Both of them are probably, both those books are probably only what, like 200 pages each book. You can oh, yeah. easily get, with, you can easily get pictures. through them in a weekend. Yeah. In a weekend you can easily get through them. Or if you listen to audio books like me, you can put it up to 1.5 speed and you know, you can listen to it in like a couple hours. It's true. But, I, th- so, I think I breezed through rework in about, you know, a lunch, a couple of lunch breaks. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's great content. It's just straight to the point. What's worked for them, what they found, what didn't work. Um, is, is it a gospel? Is everything in there? Say, is it going to true? Is it work for you? Um, who knows, right? Everything's different for every person, every organization, but it's full of lots of different ideas on how to approach remote working. Well, part of what I like about you recommending both of those titles, and I agree, uh, is that they are structured in more of a playbook kind of format, right? It's not, it's not intended to give you the rules uh, for every organization, but it gives you a lot of ideas about how to rethink some of those things that, that may have been uh, part of your environment or part of your work style previously, and equips you with, I think, a critical mindset to be able to question are, are those things actually of value to what we're currently doing? Or, you know, are, are there opportunities for us to, to lean out some of our processes? No, and you're right. It's, it's a great opportunity to just look at everything right now. And like you said, with the work agreements and litter should be going back there and just looking through everything and, you know, look at resources, talk to other people in different industries, right? That's what, I always tell people is talk to somebody else in a different industry completely from yours and get a different perspective of how something is working and how something is not. You might find something that somebody is doing in banking and, you know, maybe you're like you're a software consulting company um, that works for them that might work for you. So go ahead and, you know, talk to different people. There's tons of groups and ideas and people on LinkedIn. There's tons of places you can go. I know, a bunch of people are doing like meetups over zoom and everything like that I've seen. So mm-hmm. the, the resources are out there. You just got to look for them. And, you know, it may be healthy to break away from some screen time and actually pick up a book. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> well, with that, thanks for the conversation today, Nick. I hope this is beneficial to uh, other leaders who are wrestling not only with their technical challenges, but also just how to address the evolving landscape of the workplace. And with that, all right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Nick.